The biggest football game of the year this Sunday, Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta. The Los Angeles Rams against the New England Patriots and the LA Times is going all out. Welcome to the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. I'm Bethel Duran. And this week, we're going to give you more than just one podcast. We're going to take you to the scene. We're going to take you behind the curtain. We're going to take you on the interview. As our staff from the LA Times will be checking in on the podcast and we will bring you extensive coverage all week long. And how are we going to do it? Well, we're going to start it off with the man who covers the NFL as a beat, Sam Farmer. Has great stories about his first time at a Super Bowl. He wasn't working. About covering the Super Bowl and just takes us down memory lane. It's the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. I'm your host, Beth Brand. It's Monday, January 28th. For so many years, there was no football in L.A. You know, a generation went and picked teams from different cities. But now the Rams are in the Super Bowl. L.A. has a team in the biggest game. What kind of impact can that have for the city? Well, this is really unique, a different experience going from covering the the league at large for the nation's second largest market for so many years without a team. And then now not only covering two teams and one of them is going to the Super Bowl. It happened so quickly. It's it's really head spinning, but it's interesting. I feel like the Rams are getting traction in Los Angeles and this will be huge. And, And one of the sort of accelerance to this is the fact that the Rams are playing a team essentially from Boston, which rekindles the whole beat LA and Lakers Celtics and even Dodgers uh, Red Sox this year. So I think it's really going to help stepping into the new stadium. Now the the Rams are ascendant right now, and uh, it's going to be great in terms of building a fan base, but it's certainly different for me, focused in on one team. Very convenient. I was able to drive over here uh, from my house and come to practice, uh, which I haven't been able to do since I was a Raiders beat writer back in the back in the '90s. So I uh, I like it. It's different, but this is a, a really interesting Super Bowl matchup. We've heard about Brady. We've heard about Belichick. But what kind of team are the Patriots? Give me that scouting report. One of the things that Bill Belichick has done so well over the years is he takes away your best weapon. And especially when he has two weeks to game plan, he's able to do that. Um, The thing about the Rams is they're kind of shapeshifters. You don't really know what their best weapon is. I mean, are they the team that ran up the 54 points without Cooper Cup against the Chiefs? Are they the Todd Gurley-centric team? Are they the team with C.J. Anderson? Or the team that gets it done with uh, you know, an assortment of guys, the Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods, or, or makes the defensive play? So it's difficult to zero in on what kind of team they are. They're very slippery. It's a moving target, and I think that plays in their favor when going against the Patriots. The key for the Rams against the Patriots, um, obviously stopping Tom Brady is a big one, but stopping the running game. The Patriots, if they can get the three-headed monster in terms of running the football in the last four games, they've really run it very well. And they're very much like the Rams in that regard. At the end of the season, they lost a key player, Josh Gordon. The Rams lost Todd Gurley at the end of the season. They had a loss in week 15 that seemed like sort of their 
the end of them. They lost to Pittsburgh, just like the Rams lost back-to-back to Chicago and Philadelphia. They got their second win and gathered their momentum based on their running game. And the Rams did it with C.J. Anderson, and then Todd Gurley came back in that first game and had the long touchdown run. And the Patriots did it in establishing the running game and just able to run the football, and that really takes the pressure off Tom Brady. And so I think a key for the Rams will be stopping the run, just like they stopped it against Dallas, held them to 50 yards, and, and just like they stopped them against New Orleans. Look at you, scout, writer. You do it all, Sam. Now take me down memory lane. What are some of your Super Bowl memories? When was the first time that you ever got to see one? Let's see. Uh, I've got kind of a funny Super Bowl history. In 1980, when the Rams played the Steelers, I was in eighth grade, and I actually went to that game with my mom at the Rose Bowl. So that was the first Super Bowl, and I think it might have been the first pro football game that I ever went to. Then in 1983, I snuck into the Super Bowl. It was at the Rose Bowl, and the Dolphins played the Redskins. I had a buddy who worked for Servomation, which was the concessionaire for the Rose Bowl, and uh, I went around and waited outside, and they called a name and called it three times, and then I said, oh, that's me. And I had the dark pants on and a dress shirt. I was a big Redskin fan, so I had a John Riggins jersey under my dress shirt. And this is probably 10 in the morning. And we walked into the Rose Bowl single file. And then a friend of mine and I broke away from the group, went into the bathroom. I took off my white dress shirt. So I was wearing a John Riggins jersey and dress pants and dress shoes. And I stuffed it up into the rafters of the bathroom. And I thought, I can just stay in here for a while. Well, that didn't last for 10 minutes. I thought, I got to get out of this bathroom. So I walked around the stadium, got a, a lot of looks, but People were setting up their uh, souvenir stands around that time. And I walked into the stadium and befriended a UPI photographer. And I said, can I watch your stuff? He said, absolutely. He wanted to go off and get something to eat or something. And I was a trustworthy kid, except for the fact that I just snuck into the Super Bowl. And uh, he let me watch his camera equipment. And those were benches at the time at the Rose Bowl. So I was able to find the butt end of a bench and sit on it, acted like it was my seat. I befriended everybody around me and uh, and was right there to watch my favorite team win the Super Bowl. So then getting to how many have I covered, my first Super Bowl that I covered was uh, the first Super Bowl that the Broncos won. So I think that was the 1998 season. And then I've covered them all since then. I did miss two uh, when I made the transition from the Mercury News to the LA Times. So I missed the Giants-Ravens, and I missed the Rams-Titans, but I've gone to every one since. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. You're telling me that you snuck into the Super Bowl as a concession worker? Yes, I, w- I showed up uh, showed up ready to work, quote-unquote, at a concession stand, knowing that underneath I had a jersey and I was going to ditch that shirt, stuff it in the rafters and uh, of, of the Rose Bowl. Maybe if you looked in the Ro- Rose Bowl bathroom rafters now, you'd find a, an old Oxford uh, white men's shirt. But, yeah, I, I figured that's I, I got to sneak into this game and – and I had convinced a friend who came all the way out from Colorado. I was in high school and came all the way out from Colorado on the promise that I could get him into the Super Bowl. So it was a risky proposition. 
Uh, but back then, of course, the security was nowhere near as tight as it is now, which stepped up in a, in a big way after 9-11, which happens to be the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl. So that brings it full circle. You've seen so many Super Bowls. You've written about them. You're covering an L.A. team for an L.A. newspaper. How cool slash weird is that? It has to be hard to get unique stories. It is different covering this for the Los Angeles Times when we have a team in the game. Uh, different in so many ways. One thing, we're sending 16 uh, representatives from the Times. So we're going to try not to, it's a delicate dance, not to step on each other's toes. So a lot of planning goes into this. But we'll still try to be nimble We'll have the tentpole stories that we know that we're going to do going into this game and the things that we need to touch on and have that all planned out. It's planned out right now, but we have to be nimble to adjust where we need to adjust and to find stories that, you know, the really fun part of covering the Super Bowl is the challenge of finding those stories that nobody else knows about. And I've had several of those over the years, and really they're the ones that stand out in my memory because everybody's going to do the Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh story in the Super Bowl. But I was the only one who got that secretly Jim Harbaugh's son was an intern on John Harbaugh's staff in Baltimore. And he did an interview with me quietly during the week about the only way he could win a Super Bowl ring was to beat his dad. And it was a it was really a fun story, but I had to sit on it, very pins and needles all week. And then the last media session of the week is the two coaches. And the last question, I had the story all written on my laptop. I had my laptop literally in my lap. And the last question of that press conference, I said, and Jim Harbaugh was very secretive and everything and wanted to keep this all under wraps. I said, Jim, how does it feel to have your son on the opposite sideline coaching against you? And you could see Jim did the triple take, like, how did they know that? And everybody's head snapped around and thought, wait, what is his son's going to be on the opposite side. And I was, he, Jim gave me a good quote on it, and I was able to type it in to the story from my seat and send the story so we had it posted in 10 minutes. Because that's the game. You really have to, you, not only do you want to get the unique story, but you need to fend off everyone else and sit there on pins and needles waiting. So last year, there were a couple of them. Uh, the really unique story last year was that Neil Elitraj, who is the doctor for the Rams, matter of fact, is best friends with Tom Brady. So he's the world's biggest Tom Brady fan. He's the guy who rebuilt Tom Brady's knee. And he's an L.A. doctor, fantastic, preeminent sports doctor, Neil Elitraj. And his brother-in-law is Sylvester Stallone. So you had the Tom Brady-led Patriots playing the Eagles, where Sylvester Stallone is basically the patron saint of Philadelphia, and these guys are brothers-in-law. So I got them both on the phone to argue with each other over Eagles versus Patriots. So that was really fun. And then going up to Tom Brady's grandparents' house in the middle of Minnesota to where Tom Brady used to spend his summers and where his mom into this tiny town where his mom went to high school and getting all of Brady's family members who are Minnesotans uh, to talk about young Tom Brady, Tommy. So that was really fun. But there was another year when Rich Gannon was leading the Raiders in the Super Bowl and Rich Gannon's aunt was a hardcore Raider fan 
and choose a nun. So imagine the skull and crossbone raiders with, with this nun who had sort of terrified her uh, parish or whatever. So anyway, that's you, you go for the that's the holy grail. If you can find the unique story that nobody's written with literally thousands of reporters there crawling all over the Super Bowl, those are the ones that you remember and you want to get. Sixteen people from the Times are going to the Super Bowl. So who does what? Like, how do you make sure you don't write the same stories? Mostly during the game and during the fourth quarter, we're talking. We've got a constant conversation going on, whether it's electronic or, or an actual conversation, where I'm turning to Bill Plaschke and I said, you know, I'm going to do Jared Goff, and he'll say, I'm doing the overview of how the, you know, the crowd was, and, and I'm going to do something on Sean McVay and Gary Klein. Hey, I've got to take this element of the story. I can't avoid, you know... You know, Greg Zerline is is such a key to this game. Uh, I'm taking Greg Zerline. And so we will make those decisions before we go down to the locker room. Now, they lead people down to the locker room, or you're able to go down to the field, rather, with eight minutes left, with four minutes left uh, in the game. But a lot of times, like last week, you're not going to leave the press box and have the big play of the game happen when you're in the elevator going down the or the stairs or whatever. And so you typically will wait till the end of the game in the press box before you make your way down to the field. Thousands of media are going to be credentialed, and... Just from my experience, when a guy sees you and is like, oh, wait a minute, I've seen you all year long. I recognize your face. Does that help? Like, are the Rams players going to give you like a little extra time or access? You do build relationships with players, and that does help, although they're very insulated and besieged by reporters. So you don't get the players alone very much at a Super Bowl. In fact, pretty rare that you can wait somebody out on the podium. For instance, the Pittsburgh-Seattle Super Bowl in Detroit. I got a story that the NFL was going to use a new ball on every snap in the first half. They broke out a new ball. And Matt Hasselbeck, who I just ran into here, was the quarterback for the for the Seahawks. And it was Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback for the Steelers. And I needed to get those quarterbacks to tell me what they thought of a brand new ball on every single snap. And those balls were going to be auctioned off. To me, it seemed very myopic that the league would possibly jeopardize the quality of the game just to get new footballs in there because guys don't want to have a waxy brand new ball. So I had to wait out guys on the podium. And I remember waiting out Robbie Tobeck, the Seattle center, and to ask him about a new ball and he snapped. But I couldn't reveal to anyone about the story because I wanted to keep it to myself. And that Gilbert Gottfried was waiting with me. And I kind of pulled Tobeck off to the side and then Gilbert Godfrey started in on his routine. And I swear, I just kind of throttled the guy because he just butted in and started his shouting comedy routine with the guy. At comedy Central or something was there. And so <laughs> sometimes it's a bit of a challenge to try to get players one-on-one at the Super Bowl. We've talked about this in the past on the podcast, how while you were covering the NFL for the LA Times, there were no teams here. And Commissioner Roger Goodell would see you at his press conference in the Super Bowl. You always got the first question. But now you have a team in the Super Bowl from Los Angeles. So what do you ask them now? Right. Uh, the Each each year the commissioner has a press conference. It used to be on Friday. Now they've moved it to Wednesday where he talks about an array of topics. Uh, basically anything under the sun and maybe 20 questions. Well, for 18 years that would always include 
Sam Farmer from the LA Times, Commissioner, what's the status of Los Angeles and the NFL's return to Los Angeles? I worded that thing 18 different ways. And it got to a point where I could just say, Roger, Sam Farmer, and he'd, I'd and then basically sit down and he'd start answering about Los Angeles. It was sort of a running joke. And then finally, when the LA got uh, one team and one to come, I said, Roger, for 18 years, I've been asking you when a team's going to come back to Los Angeles. And now I just have to ask you, when is Los Angeles going to stop getting NFL teams? So that was my capstone question that sort of ended that. And, but I'm sure now I've had people come to me and say, can you pick up the, the flag for St. Louis? Can you do that for San Diego? Can you start in on asking questions about those markets? So maybe I'll have to ask a San Diego question this year. How has social media changed your job during the game? It's very interesting with with social media. I I think anytime there's more information out there, it's more helpful. It's changed the way press boxes are. Press boxes were always kind of quiet, but at least people would share jokes and crack wise about things. Now everybody saves it for Twitter. So the press box is just like a library. People communicate via texting and Twitter, and there isn't a lot of conversation that goes on in the press box, unlike years past. I'll sort of market test lines. If I think of a line that that I think is funny, I might float it out there. And if it gets three retweets, uh, it kind of landed flat. If it gets 100 retweets... Yeah, that's that sort of works, and I might save that for the story. And and you know what? People make great observations out there. There are lots of millions of eyeballs on this game. They're going to see something that I don't see. So you can sort of take the temperature of what's going on out there, and I think that helps you in crafting a story on a tight deadline where you think, you know what? People really care about that non-call in New Orleans. Uh, it's People are inflamed about it. We better cover this pretty thoroughly. A lot of the stuff's pretty obvious that you know, hey, I want to cover that, this X, Y, and Z. But some of the stuff creeps up and you think, they must be talking about this on TV and I don't know about it. Because remember, I'm not listening to the broadcast in most cases. So they might talk about something that we're sort of oblivious to in the press box. So it's helpful. The evolution of of the journalism world now this podcast started what a few months ago we had you on i think in december you said that there was going to be an la team in the super bowl and that we would be talking about this on the podcast and you were coming back and you're right nostradamus farmer got the call so what's the final prediction who wins is there a parade in la I feel good about the Rams in this game. It's really hard to bet against Tom Brady and and the Patriots and what they've done and and how they're never never out of it and they have so much experience and the Rams are so light on experience, but I think this Rams team is special. And one of the reasons is is they have so many they're so multiple. There are so many ways to fall back and redundancies offensively i think sean mcveigh is so advanced It'd be really interesting to see this this guy youngest guy to ever win a playoff game going against this nfl methuselah in bill belichick i like the rams in this game one of the really interesting matchups in this game happens on the sideline i mean you've got this young offensive whiz kid youngest guy to ever win a playoff game everybody wants to touch the garment and we've seen you know guys hired just because they know Sean McVay against 
this first ballot Hall of Fame head coach, the only coach to win five Super Bowls uh, as a head coach in Bill Belichick, uh, who's a defensive mastermind. So that matchup will be fascinating. But I think the Rams have found enough ways to win. I think people underestimate this team and have consistently underestimated them. And uh, I think this is the Rams' year. I would say 31-28 would be my final score. I think you have to score more than 28 to beat the Patriots in this game. I think it's going to be a close game. But if you look at the way the Rams, you know, Greg Zerline kicked the ball. I think the Rams can score a lot. And scoring over 30 points, I don't think it's going to be a big problem. I mean, they scored over 30 points uh, in beating the Cowboys, and they didn't have a single passing touchdown. So... Uh, I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I think they're going to be able to pass the ball, and they're going to score over 30 points. Good stuff from Sam Farmer. We're going to be checking out everything in Atlanta. Super Bowl 53, Rams, Patriots, and he said it. 16 members of the time staff will be there covering it. The video, the photographers, the writers, the editors. And we're going to have special podcasts throughout the week. So let's keep it locked in here on the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. I'm your host, Bethel Duran, produced by Dave Wine, engineered by Mike Heflin. As always, Angel Rodriguez is the sports editor. For all things LA Times podcast, go to latimes.com slash podcast, latimes.com slash podcast.